I'm Tim Moore, and welcome to the FastBuyComics.com podcast, episode 34. Yes, 34, okay. Doesn't seem like it. We, we are now at my current age. So old. Yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm like season two. Mm. <laughs> I, I just smell funny in your little movie. Yeah, yeah. When I work in the in the shed, where where all the mics are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so what's been up lately, Tim? What's going on? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, Easter weekend was uh, really hectic here. Uh, we had we had my sister and and her four her three kids and my sister in law and her two kids and my mother in law and my father in law and all the in laws and. It was, and all four of my kids, and, and we we had like 200 plastic eggs that all of the adults filled with sugar time bombs. And I kid you not, we took them out by the bucketful, and and I had this this like half acre uh, backyard, you know, that that I tediously mow once a week, and I absolutely hate. <laughs> but, uh, oh man, don't even get me started on mowing the lawn. Growing <laughs> up, we had uh, three acres, an acre and a half of which was just like our yard. Every week, we had a brother out there with a foot mower and a weed eater mowing that. I, I uh, side note, uh, I made my daughter, my 15-year-old daughter, get her ass out there and start mowing. She's she's going to be mowing my lawn all summer. Riding mower or bush mower? Push and oh. uh, lower. Uh, the handle is broken. Nice. It, That's how you it, parent, man. Yeah. It breaks you as you mow. That's how you parent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I keep telling her as she goes from side to side and not in a straight line. I'm like, it builds character. It it'll it'll teach you how to be how to be a grown woman. <laughs> yeah. That's how you parent. You build that up. I turned out pretty good. We did it every week. Absolutely. I, I had to mow my lawn when I was a kid, and I hated every minute of it. I had to do dishes, cook dinner, all that oh, yeah. stuff. But, we, we, knew, but anyways, we, we knew we had one free day every year before we could, like, break the pool cord or something and get away with it. We knew we could do it <laughs> one time. We kicked that day wisely. <laughs> 104 degrees outside, yeah. middle of the summer. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, we, we took all the eggs out by the bucketful, and, and just, uh, my wife gave us explicit instructions. She's like, hide them out there so the kids can go find them. It'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. And we were like, okay. And me and my brother-in-law took them by the bucket and just started <laughs> throwing them everywhere. Eggs were breaking all over the place, candy flying all over. We were like, it's, it's like hidden surprises in the grass. Still find them. <laughs> but they did too, like 200 kids out there. Jeez, they did. They found every single egg. There was no missing it. I mean, we had to separate the kids in half, put one on one side of the lawn and, and the other half on the other side of the lawn. And we're like, okay, when I say go, and they're trying to go as I'm talking to them, so I'm trying to corral them and all that stuff. And I said, when I say go, you go out there and, and you grab as many eggs as you can, but make sure to leave some for the little kids. And they're like, okay. And I said, okay, are you ready? And they're like, yeah, we're ready. And I say, go. And they go and they run and they don't pick up the eggs that are near them. They have to run all the way to the other side of the yard to pick up the eggs that are farthest away. Like both kids, both groups of kids do that. So 
I'm like, there's eggs over here. There's eggs over there. Why don't you pick those eggs up? No, we want those that are way over there. They might have more cool stuff in them. Well, they all have the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah. But aside from that, uh, it, it's been pretty cool. I uh, picked up some books at a bookstore today, uh, some comics. They have a nice little uh, comic section there. Uh, but we'll get into that when we uh, after we do our review stuff. So I'll, I'll save save that for later. Sounds good. Sounds good. But uh, before we go into anything, I, I I wanted to ask you: Did you have a chance to look at the Amazing Spider-Man number one GameStop variant? That I have is, not. Let me do it, it right now. It is. It is. Well, while you're looking it up, I'll I'll explain it to our audience. It is. Uh, it's a GameStop variant. <clears throat> that uh, only members of their power-up rewards program can order. It's worth 6,000 points. So if anybody's got that and they still have copies left, go ahead and order it. I've ordered mine. Friends I know have ordered theirs. Uh, okay, so why does GameStop have a variant for comics? I have no earthly idea. Okay. But, uh, but Marvel and GameStop have teamed up to, to come out with this exclusive. Uh, limited holy. Yeah, right? Limited print to 6,000. Now, from my understanding, that's, that's not that limited. That's a lot. But uh, copies have already sold, pre-order copies, have already sold on eBay for minimum $250. There's one on eBay right now for $7.99. Does it have any bids? It has, like, six watchers and all kinds of that. This is insane. It's ridiculous. It's it's totally ridiculous. Uh, uh, a comic group uh, that I belong to on Facebook called I'd Rather Be Reading Comics. Uh, it's by a friend of mine uh, named Alan Martin. Uh, he he uh, or, or someone in the group had put that up, uh, and I just caught it in my newsfeed uh, the other day. And it's and he's like, take a look at this. This is this is absolutely crazy that that people are bidding for this right now. And I saw it. I was like, huh. So I went on to GameStop. Sure enough, I had like seven thousand points. Oh, okay, okay, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, <clears throat> Greg Horn, the the guy that did the artwork for the cover, uh, fifty of those, uh, he took a black marker and scratched out a corner of the book and drew either a Spider-Man head, a Mary Jane head, or a Gwen Stacy head. Uh, and, and it's just a sketch. Only 50 of those out of the 6,000 are going to be done. And so those, those are $9,000. Those are, uh, I saw one that sold the other day for like 600 bucks. Yeah, there's one. Yeah, yeah there's one right here that's $599.95. Yeah. So some of the people, though, that are trying to sell it, I, I think, are taking a little too much advantage. Like one guy... Just had the regular uh, variant up there for twelve hundred dollars. I'm like, well, come on, that's that's a little much. I don't think anybody's going to pay that much for that. <clears throat> but uh, it, it is absolutely insane. I've never seen anything like that. And 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 the book ships in May. That's all. That's all it says is it's guaranteed to ship in May. Uh, May first is right around the corner. So we'll see. <laughs> But uh, yeah, 
I, I've been keeping an eye on that the past couple of days, and I've been anxiously awaiting the podcast so you and I could discuss that. I just don't even understand why why a video game store has a comic book. I mean, that's, that's what's messing me up. Why do they have that? You know, it it was never advertised. I, I never received an email about it or anything. It was just like a quick, under-the-radar, put it out there, and then we'll see what happens. So, totally insane. Totally insane. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, three movies are coming out this month, in the month of May, uh, which is my birth month. Uh, Spider-Man 2, Amazing Spider-Man 2, comes out uh, this coming weekend. Uh, and then we have on the 16th, I think, which is two weeks after that, uh, you have Godzilla. And then a week after that, you have X-Men Days of Future Past. Which ones are you going to see? Uh, I'm really not a big Godzilla fan, so I'll probably see the other two. I don't know, I might see that, you know, it's not, it's not like I'll be there the first week or anything, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> the trailer for it looks epic. Oh, no, I'm sure it's going to be cool, but uh, it's just not, not really my deal. I was singing the, uh, the Blue Oyster Cult Godzilla song to my kids the other day, and they, they looked at me like I was absolutely insane. <laughs> if nobody's heard it, you need to look that up. Blue Oyster uh, Cult Godzilla. Look, we'll it up look that up. Yeah, it's it's worth a listen. Totally worth a listen. But uh but yeah. So you wanna take it to the news? Oh yes. The news. Oh. We got we got some good ones. Uh, th- three good ones. Like these are the most important things that have come out in the past week. Oh yeah. Uh start it off, Leo. Start it Okay, I'm gonna start with one I'm probably most excited about and with that that's the fact that the comic book shoe from Image, written by John Layman, drawn by Rob Guillory, is being adapted into an animated show and a feature. Yes. I am pumped for this. And Tell us why. Tell us who's voicing Chu. Okay, yeah. So Chu follows Tony Chu, who's a cop, and eventually like a government agent, and he can get psychic impressions from eating things. Yeah. And Stephen Young, who is Glenn on The Walking Dead, he'll be voicing Tony too, which is absolutely awesome. And Felicia Day will be voicing his love interest of girlfriend, Amelia Mint. Now, if you guys don't know who Felicia Day is, uh, if you follow the Geek and Sundry channel, she does co-optitude with her brother. Uh, she's a, a guest star on Tabletop with Will Wheaton. Uh, and what she's most famous for is... Uh, the Gill, the Gill, yeah, and Dr. Horrible's uh, sing-along blog, <laughs> yeah, with Nathan Zillion and Neil Patrick Harris, and uh, written and directed by Joss Whedon, totally awesome, but uh, let us not take away from the awesomeness that is Chew. And what's really cool is that apparently Stephen and Felicia are both fans of the comp, so they're very, you know, so they're, they're excited about the original product, so that means the final, you know, the second medium will probably be that much better. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious who's going to do the animation for it. Because I'm, I'm yeah. looking here uh, on the article, and it doesn't really go into that a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still really hush-hush from what I understand. But I, uh, I'll have an interview with Rob Guillory, the artist of Chew. I'll have an interview with him up 
probably for sure before this airs, by the time this airs on the site. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he says they're going to try to keep the animation as close to his style as possible. And he said there's probably going to be some adaptation, you know, there's probably going to be some differences, but they're, they're going to try to keep it as close to his style as they can. That's going to be great. I, yeah. I personally have never read an, a single issue of Chew, but, but it's always on the back of my mind when I'm at the comic store or when I'm at, like, a used bookstore and they have comic collections and stuff like that for sale. But... I just have never had the opportunity to take a look at it. But with with Felicia Day, I, I'm a huge fan of Felicia Day and, and Stephen Yeun. I'm, I'm huge fans of both of them. With them guys uh, doing voice work on two, that, that's got me sold on its own. Yeah, Rob, you mean there's going to be more announcements soon about the voice actors. Things that everyone will probably be pretty happy about it. So nice. I don't know, man. And it's going to be a direct-to-video release? He, uh, what I understand, it's going to be like 90 minutes, and they're going to release it digitally and be a uh, DVD. Nice. And if things go well, there might be more in the future. So, uh, just to, to bring everybody up to speed, it, uh, this 90-minute feature is going to be based on the first trade. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So, I strongly recommend, before the prices super inflate, go out and get the first six issues before they go for $100,000 on on uh, eBay apiece. Yeah. And then go down after after the movie comes out. <laughs> okay, so so that's cool. That's that's awesome super news. Let's get into the next two pieces of news which are kind of Debbie Downers. Which one do you want to tackle next? Let's let's save uh comicsology for last. All right. Okay. Um Lucasfilm uh, issues the official word on the future of the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Like, uh, for those of you that are huge uh, Star Wars fans, uh, you, you no doubt know that Dark Horse, for, for like the past 20 years, has been doing exclusive Star Wars comics. You know, and, and some of the best stories uh, have come out of the Dark Horse uh, expanded universe for Star Wars of uh, being Dark Empire. I, I mean, Dark Empire was huge in the 90s. You, you know, like like the aftermath of Jedi and stuff like that, and and Han and Leia and their kids, and Luke and his kids, and and stuff like that. And Luke kind of drifting toward the dark side, like his dad did, and stuff like like Vader and and all that. But but anyway, <clears throat> Lucasfilm, which is now owned by the House of Mouse. Uh, pretty much has said that everything that's canon, uh, meaning official story, is the the six episodes of of the film series. Uh, the 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 first one that shall not be named, the, the one everybody hates, uh, all the way to Return of the Jedi. Uh, and then everything else that comes out from here forward is considered canon. Everything that's come out the past 20 years, like Marvel did to Spider-Man, Lucasfilm is now doing to the, the expanded universe and saying none of that happened. Nothing that the films uh, that are going to be written in the future will be based on. It, it's all non-existent. There's novels and everything, but none of that matters anymore, huh? Not, not a single page. Not a single that's, letter. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so pretty much... 
the, the the rich history and story that that is Star Wars is going to be limited to the six films, only three of which people actually care about, uh, and that's it. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm not really a Star Wars guy. Like it's not my not my thing. I honestly, you know, nerd confession right here. I have never watched any of the six movies in, the, in their entirety in one sitting. Nerd confession. Right Jason there. Martin, hear you say that. That's 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 my <laughs> confession for this week. <laughs> I'm gonna text him right now and tell him. <laughs> he will drive down to your house and make you <laughs> watch them. You'll get a knock on the door after this episode's over, and he'll be like, all right, are you ready? Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, you have to. You you have to. Don't don't watch the first three, regardless of what people say. You know, the the, the only three that you need to concern yourself with is the, the original trilogy, the Holy Trilogy. Episode four, five, and six. Yeah, um, I, don't, it, I don't know. I'm not good. I'm not really a fan, but like I've you know read there, there's a Star Wars Wikipedia, Wikipedia, and I've read yeah. a million articles on there that gives an insane rich world. That's crazy if they're just throwing all of the way that. Well, there there are two kinds of people in this world. You're either a Star Wars fan or a Star Trek fan. I don't like I don't like Star Trek either. Ah, I can. Feel my nerd soul crushing at this news. I like Zelda's my damn man. Yes, Star Trek and Star Wars. Slight salvation because two Star Trek actors were in Twilight Zone. Oh man, Leonard Nimoy with uh, when he was the detective uh, with the uh, shoot the the robot that was in jail. Yeah, uh, I don't, yeah, and and uh, William Shatner when he was on the plane in the mm-hmm. Gremlin. There's something. Yeah, terror of 20,000 feet, I believe. Yes, yes. So, okay, we're, we're good there. You've at least got your foot in the door yeah. as far as Star Trek is concerned. So, Okay, but anyways, um, yeah, so so all that work that uh, the artists and writers and storytellers have put in is all for naught because uh, Marshall and Kennedy, the, the main producers behind Star Wars, have pretty much said, well, thanks for the... The, the effort, but it's, it's not good anymore. So the first official, uh, well, the Clone Wars, the the cartoon or, or the CGI show from Cartoon Network, that's canon. All of that okay. is. Yeah. But uh, here on uh, on Twitter, uh, Star Wars Books uh, has released the first official picture for the first official piece of canon before the movies come out, and it's a. Uh, it's a novel called A New Dawn. So, goes on sale September 2nd. So, check it out. basically just Disney and Marvel, you know, because obviously there's Marvel teams that are making Star Wars comics very soon. They are, yeah. That, that's, that's just their way of now. being like, you know, no, forget Dark Horse. This is ours. This is it. Yeah, your stuff doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, everybody hates George Lucas, anyways. So I'm just sort of indifferent. <laughs> All right. Take us to what I think is the biggest piece of news. Yeah. So this this, week. this dropped in a very casual way yesterday too. Comic College just tweeted out a tweet, and all it said was, "Uh, 
hey, we've made some changes to, like, our app, you know, go check it out. They had a link to their blog. And, you right, know, because they, Amazon purchased Comixology, so so now they're, they're like, the parent company for them. Yeah, but, I mean, and so, you know, Comixology, just we got out that we've made some changes to that, you know, just check it out, basically. Yeah. And Android users, it was, you know, oh, we added a shopping cart, we added this, blah, blah, blah. Then you get down to the iOS app users, and it says, we're retiring the current app. All comics will now have to be bought through comicology.com and then downloaded to our new app, which acts as basically just a reader. Yeah. And now, do you know why they did that? Freaked out. Well, there's I, – I doubt it's a very – I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you the exact reason why. I know that Apple doesn't allow any in-app purchases for any Amazon-related apps, and I know that goes back to the Kindles and the iBook Store and all that. Yeah. If if uh, since Amazon now owns Comixology, yeah. Uh, anybody that uses the iStore app to purchase comics, regardless of what company it's from, Amazon automatically has to give Apple. Thirty percent. Well, that they've always they've always done that. I mean, Comixology's always given Apple thirty percent of it. Right, but now Amazon has to do it. Yeah. Amazon doesn't want to. Well, like, I said, uh, like I said, that goes way back to there not being you know the whole there because there are no in-app purchases on Kindle apps or yeah. Amazon-related apps on iOS devices apparently. So there's a precedent for it. So it's going to happen anyway. But people, iPhone users are freaking out because it makes it more complicated. <laughs> Yeah, because they actually have to go to the website yeah. to order their books, but, but then go back to the also, app to use as a reader. So the comic creators, especially the ones like on Comicsology Submit or the you know image creators or something like that, mm-hmm. they get that thirty percent now. They get that extra money. Ooh! And so comic a nice kick for them. So comic creators are like you know don't be mad. This means. You know, us selling digital comics is actually more feasible, and it makes a lot more sense now. It just got a whole lot sweeter for them. Yeah, because, I mean, it, you know, 30% doesn't sound a lot, like a lot, especially on a nine-cent book. On a $3 book, 30% yeah. I mean, is... On a $3.99 book, you know, you're giving them $1.33 now. Basically. Yeah, but imagine that times... Times five hundred. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a hefty chunk of change. No matter how you yeah, think. and and five hundred is isn't even a whole lot in the grand scheme of selling comic books. No. Yeah, and you know some people say, oh, it's going to you know decrease overall sales, and no. it's going to make it harder for people, casual readers, to get into comics. And then someone, I saw someone on Twitter basically say, you know, go to the App Store and search comics. Where do you see Comicsology at? And they're like, you know, nowhere on the first page. So basically, you have to go find the random app to begin with. So wow, it makes it harder, you know. See, because in the iStore, uh, before when when you searched for comics. Uh, the Comicsology app was on the top. Uh, it was like the top-selling comics-related app for for a long time. Yeah, and see, I saw someone make a very good point too. That uh, that you know now Amazon has has metrics for eighty percent of all digital comic readers, and Apple does it. <laughs> 
And that's wow. a big deal. Maybe Apple will lower the price on some of their stuff now. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be nice. But but either way, I mean I mean this is a big deal. I, I think it's a great thing for uh independent creators because now you get access to that thirty percent and that thirty percent will make a serious difference for them. Yeah, I mean I that's awesome. It it's still it's still kind of too early to tell how you know how it's gonna impact things. But I really doubt Comicsology or Amazon is stupid enough to do something that's going to hurt them in the long run. No, I, I don't think it's going to gonna hurt reader base or anything like that. There may be a minor downswing for a short time, yeah. uh, but but that'll be recovered instantly because you, you have those people that go with the flow kind of thing and, you know, they stomp their feet and fold their arms and say, I'm not going to support this because everyone else doesn't support this. Well, that's fine. You go ahead and step aside and let all these new people that are going to come in and enjoy the the, the the best app out there for for independent comics and oh, yeah. to get awesome digital comics for the from the major publishers too. You you can't beat that. I have nothing but good things to say about Comicsology and and the direction that they're going. Uh, the acquisition by Amazon is is a smart bet and it's a safe bet. Uh, Comicsology didn't need to do that. They were doing just fine on their own. They had deals with Marvel and DC and Image and Valiant and and all the other major studios and 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 even the independent ones. So there there was no reason for them to do it for the sake of saving themselves. Whatever reason it was, whatever deal they made, it was their deal to make, and and I think they made a good one. Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't think they've done. I don't think they'll do anything stupid. I think it's too smart for us. No, the only thing that would be stupid is if. Uh, Amazon changed the the name. <laughs> Took away Comicsology. I, I doubt it. From what I understand, Comicsology is going to be fairly you know self self op self operating. Yeah. But I don't know. It remains to be seen. But you know, like I said, I don't think it's going to be super drastic. Yeah. All right. What's on What's on the list next? What do we got? The pull list. You have the pull list. Okay. You want to talk about yours first? You want to talk about mine first? Uh, let's talk about yours. All right. All right. My pick was Skinned Number One from Monkey Brain Comics, co-written by Jeremy Holt and Tim Daniels, with art by Joshua Gowdy. If if you haven't you know, figured it out by now, I like Monkey Brain Comics a lot. Everybody needs to like Monkey Brain Comics. Yeah. I have not read a bad issue from them yet. Yeah. So, Ken launched uh, two weeks ago, I believe. And it's the, the whole premise of that in this, you know, this world, re- reality is viewed as a disease. Nothing is ever how you want it to be. It's never as exciting as you dream it could be. And so they came up with this special lens called Occupy, uh, you know, occupy the new IE, clever, yeah. clever, read it. Yeah. Uh, occupy, word. yeah. <laughs> so uh, occupy, and then there's a special, like, computer, special program called Iris. And with uh, occupy and Iris, they insert which lenses. Which in your eye, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all very clever. <laughs> yes. But the, the lens and Iris, they, they make it where you can do the world exactly how, how you want it. 
you can, you know, like you could view it as, and even in the book, I, I did a review on the site too, and on SMC. But I loved how everything was constantly changing from panel to panel. One panel, it was, uh, you know, like almost a Mad Max inspired world. The next, it was an old school Arabian, you know, sort of feel. Yeah. And then there was futuristic sci-fi, and then, you know, this changed. There was old school kind of Greco-Roman looking stuff. Yeah. And this changed constantly because that's how they, they wanted to view that world. And... When uh, this teenage heiress out there, she, she, you know, she's not very, she's not happy about society. She, she thinks people still can decide how they want to, you know, decide for themselves instead of being just made to to see occupy. Right. And then when uh, Iris malfunctions for the first time, she's out there sees the world as it really is for the first time. And she sees a boy named Bowie, B U O Y, and she. Just love at first sight. She sees the world as it really is, and she falls in love with it, basically. And it's going to be a love story, but it's going to be a very strange sort of love story, I guess. Is it an ongoing, or is it a mini-series? I believe it's a mini. Nice. So what what are your thoughts on the writing? What, what do you think about that? Uh... I mean, since it's a co-writer, it's hard, you know, it's hard to tell who came up with what. But I do like the love story aspect, especially with the world that's set in, where nothing is as it seems, but seeing the world as it is for the first time is how she falls in love. I like that. And I just love the idea. I love the concept of, you know, each individual person can do the world however they want. And so for each person, the world is different, you know. Each person sees a different world. Everything is different. I would see it differently than you would. I think I think there's something to that. I like that concept. Yeah, I really do. And uh, I don't know, it's solid writing. I give it a just a nine out of ten for the writing. Yes. Nice. What about the artwork? Joshua Gowdy's art, I loved that as well. I liked how he could, you know, just very easily go go with different themes and styles and settings for panel to panel, because like I said, there's one page where there's like four different world views on it. Yeah. And it, and it, at first it's kind of weird, but it's just, you know, because art stays consistent, it stays good throughout the whole thing, which, which I mean, that's got to be hard, drawing that many different settings and styles and concepts in one page, let alone in one issue. But yeah, I, you got you got to maintain, like, the, the general look of the people. Yeah. I mean, but everything each, else is different. Yeah, each character is rec- easily recognizable regardless of, you know, the world that they're seeing. Which I, which yeah. is, you know, you have to hand it to them on that. that yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, his, his art reminds me a little bit of, uh, I want to say like Joe Eisman, but not quite. It's, it's very sharp, very slick, very refined, which I like. It works well for the story, I think. I'll uh, also give his art a nine. Nice. So, so skinned number one gets a solid nine. nine. Solid nine from you. All right. What about you? Okay. So, the the main thing I loved about this issue, and, and I think it needs to be said that 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 Monkey Brain has not put out 
anything bad. I, I mean, I dare I say that they could be the top independent producers? Yes. I, I think I can stand firm in saying that. I mean, with, with Dave and with Skinned and with uh, the, the other the other series that they have out, whether mini or ongoing, everything is a fantastic and world-developing read. Skinned is no different. I mean, the, the concept of this blew me away. That, that, that was the thing that I loved the most about this. It was total science fiction. And it was their world and their rules, and they had it well-established and, and perfect parameters for it, and they never faltered in that. Like like you said, from panel to panel, it was something different. And, and when Bowie was in the the market center, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the middle of town or whatever, and uh, that was changing constantly. The the one yeah. agent saw things a certain way. He saw things. Bowie saw things a different way than that, and then even passerby uh, saw things differently than what the other people thought. And it, it, it's dizzying almost, but it's, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's very tracked, you know, so, so you don't feel like you're going to fall off a roller coaster as it's going on, but, but there's a lot of things to look at and a lot of things to visually absorb. Um, the, the the writing, I, the concept alone gets a 10 out of me. But but for the writing, uh, I, I need to see more from the series to see just how deep they go. So so it gets a 9. But, but the concept is phenomenal. Uh, as, as far as artwork is concerned, uh, it, it was a little less than I expected it to be. Um, but... Uh, but the the fact that he could go from from one thing to the next to the next to the next seamlessly uh, was was awesome, totally awesome to see. So so I give that I give that a solid nine. So so again a, a nine from me. And you, you're talking about Monkey Brain, you know, producing such great comics. I think it's worth mentioning that for a lot of these creators, it's their first like real published thing. Not like Dave, Ryan Ferrier, the writer. Yeah, he wasn't doing anything before that. Yeah, I mean, everything, as far as I know, everything Ryan has done before Dave has been himself publishing. Wow. That's the first thing he's ever done with a publisher. And that's whatever, insane. Whatever they're doing at Monkey Brain, however they choose uh, the the submissions that are handed to them, they're doing it right. Yeah. they're They're totally doing it right, and... And if anybody from Monkey Brain is listening to this, I would totally love to have any of you guys from the from the office on the show for an interview to explain the secrets behind that, how you guys are picking these winning titles that you are. Think that, you can arrange that, Leo? Is that possible? We uh, might could, yeah. But from uh, what I understand, it's basically like no submissions. They're just talking to people they know and being like, hey, man, like, what, what kind of story do you want to tell? And that's how it happens. From what I understand, I could be wrong, of course. It's immensely rich in in science fiction, and I dig science fiction. Love it, and and Skinned is 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 no exception to that. I mean, it's totally worth a read. If if you want fantastic story uh, that sets its own rules and parameters and actually follows them, Skinned is definitely it. Totally worth a check out. 
Yeah, I agree. Go buy skins. 99 cents in Comixology. What? Can't beat it. Can't beat it. You got that extra dollar on your gift card you want to spend? Monkey brain. I mean, hey, everyone just got a $5 gift card from the, you know, Apple Comixology thing to go buy, go buy some monkey brain books. Go buy five of them. By Dave, by Skin. Uh, what are what are some of the other ones? Uh, Headspace, Knuckleheads. Yeah. By Edison Rex. Uh, Headspace was awesome. Headspace, yeah, Headspace was really one of the like the sheriff's deputy yep. or whatever. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> totally good. Totally worth it. There's all I, I I could go on I could I could talk for monkey monkey bank comics for like an hour. By myself, we'll, without you not even saying anything. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a whole show dedicated to them. Maybe. That's what we need to do. There you go. Sounds sounds like a plan. All right. Let's, uh, let's get into the next one. Um, this, this week I wanted to do something a little different. Uh, usually the, the past couple episodes it's all been brand new comics that are coming out. And that's all good and fun. You know, but uh, sometimes you have to go back to the classics. And and this is one that I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, this is uh, Superman versus The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, published by Marvel and DC both, uh, written by Jerry Conway, who is a prominent DC writer, and, and artwork by Ron Andrew, who was at the time the artist for Spider-Man. Okay, that's, that's cool. Yeah, so so you have the best from DC at the time and the best from Marvel at the time coming together to to work on this book about their two flagship characters meeting up, beating the crap out of each other, and then going off to fight uh, their two major nemesis nemeses at the time, uh, Lex Luthor and Doctor Octopus. Uh, so so it breaks down like this: the first part you have Superman. And uh, Superman uh, begins in Metropolis where uh, the old red cape starts us right off by fighting a massive robot in the middle of the city. Destruction, massive chaos, witty banter, and the revelation that it is none other than Lex Luthor uh, shows us that everything, you know, that he's doing, uh, attracting Superman into the middle of the city so they can beat the crap out of each other is all a ruse. So that way he can go into Star Labs and steal this piece of circuitry for whatever he needs. Superman gets the snot kicked out of him, pushed underground, thrown through the air, through buildings, yada, yada, yada. Lex Luthor escapes. Cue to uh, Superman becoming Clark Kent long enough for us to know that Superman is Clark Kent before he leaves uh, Galaxy Communications, I believe it is, and then goes back out, discovers where Lex Luthor is, and captures Luther and, and puts him in jail, which was Luther's plan all along, was, was to get thrown in jail. So it stops there. We get a nice hero introduction, nice, nice full-page spread of who Superman is, and then we go to Manhattan, where good old Spider-Man is. And he is just kind of hanging out on this lamppost, not paying attention, and then all of a sudden he hears these goons that are breaking into this art museum, stealing all kinds of things, saying stuff about their boss and all this stuff. Spider-Man sets up his camera so he can take pictures while he while he beats uh, on helpless criminals. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and 
and then their boss shows up in the form of Dr. Otto Octavius. Uh, limbs and, and punches and spidey, witty banter uh, ensue as Dr. Octopus reveals his hatred for Spidey in the form of a flying contraption that he calls the Flying Octopus. More fighting takes place before Spider-Man is knocked out because his spider sense apparently doesn't work, and Dr. Octopus escapes. Later we find out Peter Parker take, takes uh, the photos to good old J. Jonah Jameson, but the photos that he took were utter crap, and J.J. attempts to kill him in the Daily Bugle before Peter gets up and leaves. And then it goes on from there. The Clark Kent and Peter Parker are meeting up at this World News Conference, and then the rest of the book kind of goes from there. Uh, the two meet up. Uh, Lois Lane and Mary Jane are kidnapped by this imposter Superman. And uh, then Spider-Man and Superman fight. Onward, onward, onward. And then the book ends with some really lazy writing. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I loved it. The, the first prologue was awesome. It was Superman all the way, fi fighting this, this big, huge, giant, massive robot in the middle of Metropolis. That's what Superman does every day, you know. And, and with the things with Spider-Man going on, it was familiar to me because Ron's artwork, I'm, I'm familiar with that from, from the comics that I had from the, from the era. Uh, so, so that was a good sight to see. <clears throat> but uh, when, when they met up, in New York at the World News Conference. It still felt really good, you know, because they were uh, Clark Kent and his group were doing their own thing. Peter Parker and Mary Jane were doing their own thing, and then they, they kind of meet up, and uh, the girls are kidnapped, because girls are always kidnapped in comic books, and they're used as bait uh, to, to bring out Spider-Man and Superman. And while they're fighting, the, the, the fight scene is really cool. I, re I really dug it. I really liked how it flowed, how, how Conway was able to write that, and how Ron was able to portray it visually. It looked really, really good. Like, the close-up stuff looked awesome. I really liked it. Um, but uh, halfway through the third chapter, it just kind of fell apart. Because after Spider-Man and Superman beat the crap out of each other, like, Spider-Man was uh, shot with red kryptonite radiation, and it was it gave him the ability to beat up on Superman for a short period of time until it wore off. And then when it wore off, you, you see, like, just how stacked Spider-Man is against Superman, which is not very stacked at all because he raised his hand until he punched him in the chest and all that stuff. And Spider-Man was kind of a douche. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, he was kind of a jerk, though, you know. Like, he, he didn't want to listen to reason. And... Superman was trying to reason with him, and it, it just wasn't working. But uh, anyways, they, they, they team up. They, they put their collective strength of, of muscle and mind together, and uh, they go off in search of Lex Luthor and Dr. Octopus, and, and they eventually find him. But, but at the point where they discover, like, where their former secret base was, it's where the writing kind of goes, goes right down in the pooper. And it's like Jerry Conway didn't know where to go from there, you know? So all of a sudden, it, it shoots them off into outer space where Lex Luthor and Dr. Octopus 
have kept Lois Lane and Mary Jane confined together uh, as bait to, to lure the heroes off of Earth so that way Lex Luthor can betray Dr. Octopus because villains aren't really friends to begin with and try and destroy the entire world. You know, Octopus uh, and Superman fight, Luthor and Spider-Man fight, and we get to see all that coolness. And the fight sequence there was cool too, but, but then totally out of character, Spider-Man convinces Dr. Octopus that what Lex is doing is wrong, and Dr. Octopus is like, Earth is my world too. I will not let you destroy it. And he destroys the console that is being used to destroy the planet. And then it just kind of ends, and that's it. Like, it was this massive climax, and then you're thrown off a cliff. Well, we're going to end it here. We're, we're, we're going to stop it. So Conway's writing was good up to a point, and then it shut down for me, and, and I really lost it. Because, like, with, with books from this time period, you, you really have to read it like a Saturday morning cartoon because they have outer monologue, and, and their inner monologue is, is just as cheesy as their outer monologue, and they all speak very excited, you know, and, and very punctual and all that stuff. But uh, I, I think Conway just kind of failed halfway through. Like like Ron Andrews' artwork, it, it was great. It was solid. I, I loved every piece of it. And there was this, even this one spot where Superman uh, ripped off the arms of uh, Octavius, like the, the mechanical arms, and he punched him or whatever, and he flew, and you could see him crinkle up according to the panel of the page. And I thought that was really cool. Um, but, uh, but so, aside from that, it, it wasn't as good as I expected it to be, but visually it was as good as I wanted it to be. So the, the writing gets a 7 from me, and the artwork gets an 8 for an overall of 7.5 out of 8, or out of 10. <clears throat> what did you think? Because I texted you yeah. while I was reading it, and, and I got a less than enthusiastic response. <laughs> I, I just want to point out, this was like 80, 90 pages, and it could have been like four, probably. Yeah, it was, it was intensely long. And I think that's most reason I didn't like it. Because, I mean, there were whole pages where, where you know, there were like eight panels and we only needed like two, maybe, to yeah. get all that accomplished. And I don't, know, I, I don't like books from this time period to begin with. I told you this. I mean, this book's, <laughs> what, 76? This thing was 15 years older than I am. It's, I just don't, I don't know. I just don't like books. I just don't like comics from this time period. They're just... Uh, I don't know. For the most part, anyway. Not all of them, for the most part. Oh, good. <laughs> it's the, the, the one thing that I did really like was when Superman almost, you know, he got mad and he almost just, like, demolished Spider-Man. He realized, like, like, oh. he, he realized, he's like, oh, man, I'm about to just, you know, punch through his head. I better, I better pull my punches. And he stopped, like, three inches away from him with the sheer force of Superman's punch. All of them, like a sonic boom and make Spider-Man fly like a hundred feet away. I liked that. Through half the city. Yeah, I I liked <laughs> that. That was ridiculous and it was great. But because because yeah. it's not often that you see Superman fully aware of like yeah he's Superman like he could you know he's gonna kill this guy. Yeah. And even though Spider-Man you know fights 
Galactus and stuff. The Superman's like, I'm about to kill this guy. I can't do this. <laughs> and that's kind of cool. Superman. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. I like that. <laughs> right on. So, so overall, what would you give the writing for for a class? Uh, man, I don't, I don't even want to rate it because I don't even. I don't know. I don't know. It was that good that you couldn't rate. Yeah, it, it was that good. <laughs> it was like it was. I don't even want to rate it just because it's the first book that is unrateable by Leo. <sighs> like I said, it's, it's twice as long as it needs to be. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. It's uh, fun, though. Like, imagine being a kid in 75 and your your two favorite heroes, Superman and Spider-Man, are thrown together with... An awesome, did you see the picture of Stanley in that introduction? I, I actually do want to talk about that a little bit. The one of Carmine Infantino, where he's smoking <laughs> a cigar. You would, like get, you, would, boss. you would not see that comic today. You would no. see, you know, Jim Lee smoking a cigarette at the front. No, they no, they would kill Jim Lee before that happened. They would, AJJ was drinking scotch. Yeah, I mean, the, they, that's, the guy that owned the Daily Planet was drinking some other kind yeah. of liquor. But I also love how at the how at the end of their prologues, they're like, "Here's a page showing you who Superman is." Yeah, like <laughs> like it's fathomable that you don't know who Superman is. We're gonna take a break and give you the origin in one. Like, page. yeah, like it's possible you don't know who Superman is or you don't know who Spider-Man is. I can't. Yeah. That I don't know. Maybe maybe that's how it was in the 70s. I don't know. <laughs> It was a wild it's time, I guess. strange person yeah. has this it, it was, on its chest and it almost a, killed my favorite hero. It was a wild time, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> the, the 70s were reckless, man. They, they were reckless. I, I was born at the tail end of it, so I don't remember it at all. I saw some of the people in the 70s. Okay, so, so artwork, at least. Could you rate that? Uh, I mean, it's got that classic feel. It's... It's not bad. It's, it's, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know why folks in the South period. Uh, I don't. There's, I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible, I guess. I'm a terrible person. We're we're going to have a golden oldies day. Oh, on Lord. podcast one day. Well, we do. We can, yeah, I've got some uh, old Captain Marvel issues. You know, Shazam. <laughs> I've got some old issues of that we can talk about. I like I like those from like the 50s. I love those. <laughs> That, those are my first comics, the old reprints of, like, 50-something, you know, 1950s Captain Marvel. Those, those are my first comics. I don't where like where everything was solved in 28 pages with a, I, with a good old first comic to the shoulder and a chuckle. The first comic I remember reading was when, was when Mr. Mind trapped Captain Marvel in the Mardellium trap. A tiny little worm capped the world's mightiest mortal, captured him in a, in a trap. And I loved that comic more than anything. Wow. Yeah, but I don't know, man. So unrateable. We'll we'll, we'll take yeah, it that you I, were. I am saying you, you were in such awe that uh, that you yeah. didn't rate yeah. rate the gloriousness yeah. that is Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> I, I I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Okay, so uh, anything new that you've been reading? I just read the review copy from the Image FPP server of uh, Southern Bastards number one from Jason Aaron and Jason Latour. And I love that book. Because as someone who 
it's set in Alabama and Jason, both of the Jason, Aaron, Jason Aaron is from Jasper, Alabama, and Jason Latour is from somewhere in the Carolinas. Right around your area, then. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jason Aaron, where he grew up, was about an hour, hour and a half from where I grew up. Nice. So, you know, a a lot of what he puts into that book is a lot of the same stuff I feel about Alabama and the South in general. Nice. Yeah, so it's... it's, Yeah, you're... you're, You're deeper south than I am. Like, I'm in Tennessee, and... You're practically a Practically. <laughs> yeah. Although we did fight for the Confederacy, you know. I, I yeah, tell my wife all the time yeah. because I'm... Yeah, I, I'm... Yeah, I'm just that conquer so early on. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> I, I tell my wife, though, all the time, because I'm, I'm from Michigan, and she's born and raised down here. I'm like, well, the, the North came down and, and conquered the South. Yet again, I'm repopulating. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad's from Michigan, so I'm half Yankee, I guess. Right on, right on. What part of Michigan is he from? Uh, his area in the Upper Peninsula. Ooh, wow. He, he's basically he'll know what He'll know what pasties are and, and youpers and... Yeah, he's basically Canadian, you know? Pretty much. You know, because, yeah, that's, that's like way... Deep. Jeez, the Upper Peninsula, that's, like, Michigan itself uh, borders uh, Ontario, yeah. you know? And yeah, no, he's pretty he, much... He was up there, and, you know, he, he was born in, the, in uh, 1960. And wow. So, uh, he said, you know, where he grew up at, they had, had one stop had one stop sign, one stoplight, they had one paved road that went through Main Street, looked around to all the farms, and came back in. Jeez, I, I can remember growing up in, in Big Rapids and Morley and stuff like that, and, and even into my 20s, uh, they still had dirt roads out by my grandparents' house. Like, they just paved that stuff 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> okay, so moving on. We're, we're getting distracted by old memories of dirt roads. Um I, uh, what else are you reading? Uh, Black Science, number six. That's, that's ending the first arc over there. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Uh, no, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what's coming out next week, to be honest with you. I, it's, been, it's been a weird week, man. I got, uh, I went to, the, like I said in the beginning of the show, I went to that, uh, that bookstore. I went to McKay's. And, uh, they, they have a comic selection. Uh, and and it, it's fair for the most part. Like, most of the stuff that they have in there is uh, $0.50 cents to uh, $1.25. Uh, and, and it's all bagged and boarded. It's, it's stuff that people bring in to, to sell or to trade, and then they, in turn, sell or tra- or sell it back to you. Um, but uh, every now and then, you can find something really cool. And, uh, and I did. I, I went in there, and uh, I got... Uh, Ultimate Comics, uh, Spider-Man number 200, that just came out. Uh, I got it for a dollar and 25 cents. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and since you're the only one with video, I'll show that to you now. Ooh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I picked up, uh, regular copies of Civil War number three and number five, uh, Daredevil number 65 from the Bendis run, uh, 
What else did I get? Uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four, number 30, number 53, and number 56, all for 50 cents a piece. Uh, and I love Ultimate Fantastic Four. I think that is really, really awesome, especially the Marvel Zombie stuff. That's stellar. Uh, picked up some Ultimate Spider-Man stuff, uh, 59, 69, 68, 65, and 53. So, uh, all that for, yeah, all that for less than $10. Can't beat it. Oh, can't oh that was cool. Yeah. But, uh, I'm still reading, uh, DMZ. Uh, I just finished, uh, I can't remember the name of the arc, um, I think it was Friendly Fire, uh, where he infiltrated uh, this worker group. Like, they, they were hired to – no, um, the, the United States hired this company to go into Manhattan to the DMZ and to start rebuilding and repairing. And the yeah. company is notorious for – uh, being corrupt, and uh, he infiltrated their worker group uh, to to try and expose him. Because at this point in in the story, Natty is kind of on his own. He doesn't work for uh, the news company that put him in there in the first place. Uh, he's kind of doing freelance stuff, and he's got a girlfriend in the in the shape of a reporter from another news group uh, that uh, they kind of swap information with. But, uh, yeah, the, the five-issue arc of that was him going into the middle of that, getting sucked into the whole uh, underground terrorist organization type stuff and actually having to take a suicide bomber to the U.N. building where this massive press conference was taking place that had the owner of the company that was doing the repairs, had a major general for the Americans, and somebody else. Oh, the the acting prime minister, I think, of the United Nations, uh, and and they were going to eliminate all of those. And it was just a really cool arc. Like, I was totally immersed in that. Read all five issues that day. Oh, yeah. It only gets better. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. That's what I keep hearing. And, I, and I'm still anxious for, for what sci-fi is going to do for it when it comes out on on television. But that's, that's a long way away. Yeah, probably so. But, okay, so with our weekly distraction, uh, we decided that it was going to be in honor of Batman's 75th anniversary. Yes. Uh, we were going to do the top five Batman villains. But before we do that, Leo, what would your favorite Batman story be? Uh, that's a good question, actually. My favorite is probably Hush, but you know Hush, because of that book got me. And Jeff yeah, that book got me back into comics when I was like in high school. Nice. So, yeah, that's probably my favorite. Yeah, even though like the, the character Hush kind of fell into obscurity. Yeah. But uh, that that brought us Jason Todd back. Uh, the the stellar artwork by Jim Lee, uh, expert storytelling by Jeff Loeb. Totally good. Uh, I, I think my favorite Batman story so far would have to be uh, the Killing Joke 
and that's, I guess, more of a Joker story than anything else. But it's it's immensely entertaining. It's it's totally amazing. It's it's, it's like one of Alan Moore's definitive works. It, have you ever read it? Yes. Oh, love it so much. I mean, I think so it speaks a lot about that story that, you know, a couple of months ago they were still arguing about the ending on their internet. Whether Batman actually killed yeah. the Joker or not. I mean, I, that, that speaks to a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. But let's get into our list because you were still working, you were still fighting with your list as uh, as we started the show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so do you want to do your number five first? Yeah, uh, mine is Razabu, Great Razabu, however you pronounce it. I've heard it sounds like that in different ways. He's your number five. Yes. Okay, why is he number five? He's immortal, he's a ninja, he's got the whole League of Assassins at his beck and call. He's fairly insane. But yeah. with all of that, he still respects Batman as an adversary, which I think is very interesting. But Doesn't Roz know who Batman is? Yeah. yeah, he knows who he is, yeah. And I just love how he calls him the detective. Never Batman, just the detective. <laughs> and there, there's something to be said for that, you know, that he's, that he's literally immortal. And that he's, with the, the Lazarus pit. Yeah, he's got the Lazarus pit, he's got a whole league of assassins. He's got money, he's got power, and, you know, Batman often seems to be the brunt of all that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. My number five, Catwoman. Okay. Uh, she, I, I guess now she's more of an anti-hero than anything else, because she kind of does whatever she wants, but when you look at it... Batman and Catwoman always go together. I, I mean, in, in some of the best stories, she's she's an integral part of that. Uh, Batman Year One, you know, Selina Kyle is is right in the middle of that. You have Hush, which she's a major player in. Uh, when uh, New Fifty Two redid Catwoman, I mean, Batman well, that that was like the most controversial thing was them and their pseudo-sex scene, you know, and, yeah. and, and the pages of her book and all that stuff. But regardless of that, the, the relationship between Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne is totally different than the relationship between Batman and Catwoman, you know. And, and even though she's, she may not be, like, an integral part right now, she's always going to be an integral part overall. Maybe not so much as, as some of the other people like Penguin or Riddler or Scarecrow or, or, or the others, but uh, she's always going to be there and, and she's always going to be that one that uh, when Batman's hanging on the ledge and she peeks over, uh, he's, he's always going to question whether she's going to help him or start picking his fingers up one by one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're number four. What's your number four? Like I said, I like the Hush storyline. So my number four is Hush because I love I love that there's the, you know Batman. Batman is often touted as the you know smartest man alive. He plans for everything. He has secret yeah. files on every member of the Justice League and how to take them down. 
and then yeah. then you know Hunt plans that that whole storyline. He just plans everything. He, he manipulates every single one of Batman's villains into into just the right situation, and he plays he plays toys with Bruce just in the perfect ways. And and he, he I, I love that. It's such a shame that he wasn't utilized more after that. Yeah. <clears throat> and because, I mean, oh, Batman, Batman's the smartest man alive, and constantly makes a fool up for, you know, six issues or 12 issues. I, I think my favorite part uh, is when he's chasing after, when Batman's chasing after Catwoman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he shoots out the, the grapple line, and as he's swinging, and she's, they're, they're, she's doing it to taunt, he's doing it to catch. And uh, as he's going across, that line gets cut, and he's mm-hmm. like, whoa, nobody's ever done this to me before. How could this possibly have happened? And he falls and nearly dies from it. Yeah, breaks his back and all that. Yeah, that was like a totally big deal. Like, that type of damage and destruction hadn't been done to Batman since the 90s in the Nightfall. And, you know, and it, and it made it, it look like an accident, too, which is the thing. Batman yeah. doesn't make mistakes. No, Batman no, not at all. But that, that whole story arc has made him look like a fool, and I love that. Good choice for number four. Good choice. Okay, my number four is The Court of Owls. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. Where where Hush did that to Batman in the the pre-New 52 universe, the Court of Owls nearly took the entire city from him. You know, and and Scott Snyder's writing on that, that spanned, jeez, how many issues? 12, 13 issues? Yeah, it was a whole year for the stories, I believe. It was an immense, engaging story story that uh, that a lot of people at first said was going to be too long and too slow, but once they got into it, holy cow, some, some of the best writing I've ever seen in a comic book, let alone in a Batman story, and, and I mean, the, the entire court, from, from beginning to, to end, I mean, tormented him in, in such a way that hadn't been done to, to Bruce in a long time. You know, like like their influence had reached all the way back to the beginnings of the city, like like the Wayne family and then the people that were inside the court and stuff like that. And, and one of my favorite parts of the series, or, or, or the storyline, is when, geez, I can't even remember the issue number, but uh, it's it's when Batman's stuck underground and he's going through that maze and, and the comic takes advantage of that. Like Capullo and Snyder did it in such a way that you have to rotate the book as you read as, as Batman's twisting around and it's kind of disorienting and a little confusing. Like exactly the same type of stuff that, that he's going through himself. And it, it, it was such a good read. Such a good read. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely, I didn't even think about the court of Owls. That's a good one now. <laughs> What's your number three? Two-Face. Ooh, Two-Face. Because whereas Batman is very much about, you know, order and keeping his true lives separate, 
two faces, you know, random. It's all in one. It's all about and, that coin. Yeah, and I, I just like how, you know, Batman is both Batman and Bruce Wayne, whereas two face, you know, hard, you know, they're they're very similar characters because they're both rich playboys and all that. They're both through, you know, whatever face, whatever portrait, these weird vigilantes and villains. And I, I think it's a nice mirror because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people see Joker as that as a mirror. But I feel like Two Face is more simply because of their backstory so similar. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they were they were best friends yeah. for for the longest time, and uh, memorable Two Face stories. Uh, I, I think the biggest one would have to be uh, the Long Halloween. Yeah. That was good, because cause that was like a retelling of the origins of Two Face, and and a lot of that stuff was used in the Dark Knight uh, in the film that Christopher Nolan did. Mm-hmm. Right, what about you? What's your number three? My number three is your number five. Okay. Al Ghul. Yeah, and and the reason I chose him is because of. The, the connection that him and Bruce share in Damien. Oh, yeah. Right. But, like, like where, where Ra's al Ghul, uh, for, for whatever reasons, you know, that, that he hates Batman, maybe because Batman is the order to his chaos, you know, uh, but, uh, it, it seems like, uh, Roz is always using Talia uh, to get to Bruce because Talia is is immensely infatuated with him, but Bruce kind of is and kind of isn't, or, or at least that's how it was. But uh, but Roz is is just like that that needle that just won't go away. You know, it's it's like that stabbing pain in your shoulder that will never leave you, no matter how hard you try to get rid of it. But uh, but their ties together through through Talia and through Damien, I think, is what holds them more so than anything else. Like like the the hatred is there, but but there's that begrudging mutual respect that they both have to share for each other. You know. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, that's my number three. Now we're getting into the top two. Who's yeah. your number two? I imagine our number ones will be the same, but I don't know. Possibly. All right, my number two is Bane. Oh, well, because I will uh, tell you that my number two is also Bane. Okay. Our top two will probably be the same, then. <laughs> but I, I love Bane because, I'm you know, not – forget the movies, forget all that. In the in the comics, you know, that Nightfall, he, he is not only just massively intelligent – you know, just as smart as Bruce Wayne almost. Massively intelligent. Cunningly Yes, he has the whole island under his control. He has all this stuff going on. Just a massively intelligent guy. He's also stronger than Bruce Wayne. Stronger than Batman. Strong enough to literally break him. And I love that. Because it's not often that you see a villain in Batman that's as smart and as strong or stronger. No kidding. Like... 
like where the Joker is is just utterly insane and and has a weird sort of infatuation for the Dark Knight. Bane is the 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 name says it all. I yeah. mean, he is Batman's Bane. It's 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 a Bane. I mean, he, he he's got the you know he's got the strength of Killer Croc and the intellect of you know Batman. But but can't with murderous tendencies, yeah. because where where Bruce can't cross that line, Bane is more Bane has no problem with it. it. Yeah, no problem with it at all. And uh, in in the movie, in in The Dark Knight Rises, I was thoroughly happy with the portrayal of Bane. Yeah, I I, I like it for the most part. You know, it, you know. I was born in the darkness. <laughs> that accent. <laughs> he's a freaking, you know, he's Hispanic. He's a Hispanic. Yeah, he's from he's from like, Central America. Yeah, he's a Hispanic like prison gang leader, basically, or something. He takes over this island and all that. Right? Yeah. I was born in. <laughs> I was born in the darkness. You merely use it. <laughs> yeah. Ah, so good, so good. Okay, but anyways, all right. So, so yeah, Bane. Bane deserves that number two slot. I, I don't think he's being used nearly as much as uh, as he should be, if at all. And so, I, I, I feel like they only ever really play up the fact that he's this giant hulking, you know, strong monstrosity. Yeah, he's this you know typically strong guy, rather than the fact that he is just as great a tactician and thinker as Batman is. I want Snyder to tackle Bane. I want him to, to make an epic storyline, you, you know, like everything Snyder's done so far, from uh, uh, Court of the Owls, Night of the Owls, Death of the Family. Yeah, Snyder, Snyder doesn't play. Like, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything halfway. No, God, no. My personal opinion is that Snyder is one of the top three best Batman writers ever. Okay. I I don't think that uh, that it gets much better than Snyder. Like Snyder is it. But uh, I I think it's safe to say what our number one is. Yes, the Joker. The Joker. The Joker. So why did you choose Joker for number one? Aside from the obvious reasons. I mean, when you think of Batman, you think of the Joker. There is no other. Yes. Whereas Batman is order and his system, and you know he does things his way, the Joker is insane. He just he blows things up for the hell of it. He, you know, robs the bank, burns the money. It's he's crazy. The thing love, is, though, is yeah, yeah. The the way I see it is is like maybe the Joker thinks of Batman as a rotten child, and he has to. Spare the rod, spoil the child, kind of mind frame, <laughs> you know. So yeah. he always has to do things to Batman to kind of bring him back. Like, hey, wait a minute, you forgot about me. I've been here this whole time, and you're too busy messing around with all of these other people. Well, I'm going to kill your Robin, and then you'll remember me again. You know. That, yeah, that, I, I like how <laughs> you know even very they, they, they their relationship is. Completely odd. It's like they need each other all They they do. They they. I I think Batman hates the Joker, but the J 
Joker loves the Batman. Not not in a sexual sense yeah, or anything like that, but but it, it's it's like almost like a playmate or something. Well, no, not even not even that. I I think it's on a deeper level than that. It's it's like well, yeah, t- take the playmate example, but but it's it's like it's like that friend that you hang out with that kind of doesn't want to hang out with you, you know, but, <laughs> but he does. Yeah, I know exactly and he, and, that. He, and he never wants to do what you want to do because what you want to do sucks, and he's going to do what he wants to do, and then you get mad and you kill his dog. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Sure, yeah, something like that. That, that. That's how I always see the relationship. And and death of the family is is that for the most part, like, the Joker was so pissed that uh, that Batman just pretty much forgot about him. Like like with the events that took place in Detective Comics, uh, and and with the Joker removing his face, you know, <clears throat> and then and then progressively going through the death of the family, and it was it's intense. Like. Like nothing is ever, ever low key with the Joker. It's always very grandiose, very, very immense, very intense, very explosive. Oh, yeah, also quiet, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> and and I think that uh, the the two people that have portrayed the Joker theatrically, you know, Jack Nicholson's Joker was was spot on for the time. Uh, and and Heath Ledger's Joker, I, I think, will never be recreated. Oh, that that was I mean that that's gonna be one of the best comic book villain portrayals in a movie easily ever ever. Jack Nicholson's was one thing. Like like when you saw, I I remember going to the theater to see Batman for the first time. You know, in in '89 when it came out. And just to see that, they call me the Joker. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was that was so good. That was so good. Like Nicholson's portrayal was was spot on. Um, and then, you know, when Nolan's doing his, his Dark Knight stuff, you don't see Joker right away, and you see him in in the Dark Knight. And Ledger's portrayal. I mean, he he dove right into that role. You know, like would sit in his hotel room for and, and stay up for days and and try and get into the mind frame of what the Joker would be. I, I loved like uh, the the subtle humor they yeah. tried to do, like when when he meets the the gang of people for the first time and he says, "Ah, I'm going to show you a magic trick. Here's a pencil. Yeah, I'm going to watch it disappear. Boom, bam, it's gone. Magic." <laughs> And, I mean, that's exactly something you can see the Joker doing on the comic, too. Something that's so insane and weird and creepy. Yeah. Sar- sarcastic, forced but humor. But like, to him, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're doing aggressive expansion, so we're going to have tryouts. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. <sighs> I, I think that's about it. I don't yeah. think we can yeah. say much more beyond that. We could, but let's not. <laughs> Try to keep it under right. three hours. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Anything else you want to add before I dive into all the coolness that is on stashmycomics.com? I think that's about it. All right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash stashmycomics for all the latest news and articles that we have on the stashmycomics.com website. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash stashmycomics. Coolness erupts from there, too. On the stashmycomics.com website, the two main features as of right now are crowdfunding flash, just another sheep, something that you guys need to check out and support, and Tom's Geek Cinema, I want Marvel Studios to make a bad movie. Did you read that? I did. I liked that. <laughs> Tom makes a good point, but a scary point, so, so read it at your peril. But uh, there's uh, advanced reviews for Undertow number three, uh, your review for Skin number one, yeah, uh, and all in the trade review for Retrovirus, uh, Piggy's Tale number one, uh, info on the Comixology uh, acquisition by Amazon, uh, Liberated. Uh, yeah, you were doing a, a week-long thing yeah. on that, and there's all kinds of stuff on there. So definitely check that out, guys. Also, uh, Apes for Comics has a new podcast out. They're on episode number 24, Neil and Matt. Great group of guys, awesome to listen to. You guys really need to listen to that after you listen to this, of course, or the other way around. <laughs> listen to them first and then listen to us. But either way, listen, listen to us, both. basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that is it. Don't forget, later this week we're going to have an interview with who? Rob Guillory about the Chew. It should be up before this airs, I hope. There we go. Right on. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man number two, uh, the movie. Hopefully, I will not be a loser podcast host, podcast host and I'll get to go see it. But uh, we might have some friends come along and talk about the movie with us. Maybe, maybe not. It all depends on what they can do. But, Leo, if you don't have anything else, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week.